Hey, hey, welcome back to the 40 Pep Podcast, where we bring leadership experience straight to your ears. I'm your host, Nolan Beck, and this is part three of Fill in the Blanks. In part three, we are still interviewing Phil McManus, um, who's a franchisee owner here in Arizona. And in this part, we talk about and go into detail on one, how he became a franchisee, like why he decided to do it and like what opportunity, you know, came across his path for him to be able to do it. Two, some of the detailed stuff that you might not know about that is required to be able to become a franchisee for Domino's. Um, you know, how much money you need, how much experience, stuff like that. Uh, he goes over all of that. And then three, you know, what it's done for him and, and his family and, and his life and what he truly enjoys about it and what kind of motivates him um, to do what he does and to run his own business because it's, it's not an easy thing. You know, a lot of people don't understand, you know, the owner isn't just somebody who sits in an office looking at numbers all day. It's not somebody who, you know, is always on vacation while everybody's doing hard work. You know, the, the owner has sentimental, emotional attachment. They have the most responsibility, the most liability. And some of those things, you know, when we're younger or inexperienced, we don't truly fully understand the whole aspect of what it takes to run a business. So we kind of go into detail about some of that stuff, and I hope you really guys enjoy it. Um, please let me know what you think. Let me know what you think of the first two parts. Let me know what you think of any of my episodes. Um, I want to hear from you. Uh, you can do that by emailing me at 40peppodcast at dpzwest.com. Uh, that's the number 40peppodcast at dpzwest.com. And I want to hear your feedback. I want to hear your suggestions. I want to hear your stories. Um, so please reach out to me and maybe I can have you on the show. So moving on, uh, I ain't got much else to say about the interview. I'm going to let it speak for itself. Um, we're still looking out for you know new sponsors. Um, so we might have some new commercials for you here in the coming weeks. But this week, we're going to do a second segment of What Annoys Me with Rocco. Enjoy. Hey, it's Rocco here. Did y'all miss me? Well, I didn't miss you guys. Matter of fact, y'all annoyed me. Maybe that's why Nolan asked me to do another segment of this What Annoys Me. Well, I tell you, I could probably do a whole season on why Nolan annoys me, but I don't have time for that. But I do have time to tell you on what else annoys me. When commissary messes up my truck order. Whether they're late or forget some dough or even throw product on the ground. The last one really grinds me. How do you throw product on the ground? Common sense, please. There was this one time they completely forgot my entire stack of dough. On that occasion, I decided to call commissary, and I let them have it. I yelled. I screamed. I told them it was unacceptable. I went full Karen on them. You know, they wowed me, though. They got me my dough the very next day. 
They sent a whole new truck out just so I could get my dope. They also gave me a credit for the inconvenience. They explained to me they're short-staffed. They don't have the trucks able to deliver products in some locations. That their entire staff is mainly new because when COVID happened, everybody left. Their experienced people left. And now, when things are rolling back up and stores are bumping, they're trying everything they can to help us and get us food that we order. And then I realized, man, that sounds like me talking to a customer when I deliver a late pizza or I forget a topping on their pizza. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I was the angry Karen customer. So what I decided to do, I decided to make their lives easier. I would stack up every dough tray that was empty in 25s so they didn't have to count. I would stack up the the rolly carts so they were all in one place and the drivers didn't have to search for them. When they forgot something, I just communicated with them. I knew they were going to help me. I didn't need to be mean or yell. Times are tough everywhere, and we need to help each other out. So, until next time, that was what annoys me. Let's say, you know, I'm a GM thinking about, you know, this is going to be my career, but I don't, I don't want to work for a franchise. I want to do my own thing. I want to have my own business. Can you tell me like when you made that decision and kind of how you came to that decision? Um, it's all about opportunity, right? Um, uh, the, I, I, the thought, the, the seed got planted in 2008 when my current franchisee offered to sell me the store I was managing. And um, that's when I started really thinking about, you know, I can do this. This could be not just, not just a career as a manager or a supervisor, but, you know, this could be, you know, my, my direction in my life. And um, so I attempted to buy that store in 2008. I failed miserably. Um, I, uh, I did the discovery day, um, for, um, for Domino's. I went to Ann Arbor, um, to meet with, uh, at that, at that point in time, it was, um, Dave Brandon was a CEO, mm-hmm. um, uh, and the leadership team and the, the discovery day was basically where they evaluated you as a potential franchisee to see if you could get into franchise management. So, so real quick, they came to you and said, Hey, we want to sell you this store. And you're like, yeah, I think I want to do that. And so what's the next step? Do you, do you call like Ann Arbor and say, Hey, I'm ready. Like, (laughs) can I come meet you? Or how how does that process work? Yeah, actually the franchisee reached out to the the area leader, the franchise business consultant. Um, They got me in touch with, the, the, the FMS team. Okay. Um, and then the interview process started from there. Um, officially it's a, it's a very different process now. Um, well, I actually went through the second track of FMS when I did it the right way. Okay. <laughs> um, so in 2008, the lessons I learned in 2008, um, is 
one, I had the I had the knowledge, I had the experience as a GM, and I had the track record as a GM to get the job done. So in that regard, they really wanted me to be in the system and to be a franchisee. What I did not have was the financial and business acumen. So I had somebody lent me the thirty thousand dollars that I thought I needed to get this uh, this job done, um, not fully knowing the financial requirements of being a franchisee at that time. Um, so I, I knew that I needed to be a GM for a year and I needed $30,000 capital and then I could be a franchisee. So that's what we've been told like from, from day yeah. one. Um, I didn't realize that I needed $30,000 and the ability to purchase the store. Separate from that. 30, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So you have to be able to buy the store and have 30,000 left over at the end. Um, so I didn't have, I basically didn't have enough money for a down payment for this. Now, do you know why they have that standard? Like what's their motivation for making that standard? Um, <laughs> um, I learned that lesson. I, I didn't understand it until after my first year as a franchisee. Um, you need that liquid capital to start your business. Um, uh, the, the, your first six months, or your, your, leading up to buying my first store, everybody had my hand, their hand in my pocket. There's deposits for this. I had to buy this. The inventory was this much. The, you know, so that that fifty thousand dollars turned into twelve. <laughs> Real before, fast. <laughs> before, I, before I even, before I signed the papers, before I, you know, and so when I opened my store, you know, I bought my, my Buckeye store. I was doing fifteen thousand dollars a week. I had twelve thousand dollars in my bank account. Terrified. Woo. Absolutely terrified. <laughs> you know, so if we didn't make money day one, I was in trouble. You know, so that fifty thousand like and it was a thirty thousand dollars then, it's fifty thousand dollars now. That's why. Um it gives you the money to get started. Now did when you started, uh did you were you acting GM or did you have somebody else as acting GM and you were, you know, separated? I was blessed. I, I had Ed that followed me from New Mexico to, to Arizona. Um, so awesome. I, I was, I was alone for a week. Okay. Okay. Uh, and, then, and then I had Ed come in and he was the general manager and we, we basically co-managed the store. Um, he was the general manager. I gave him all of the authority and the, the I tried really hard not to step on his toes, but when you have, <laughs> you have two high powered individuals in one small store, you know, it's, it's going to happen. Yeah, you know, but um, luckily the opportunity for my second store came quick. Um, so seven months after I bought my first store, I was working on buying a second store, um, which took me out of the store and gave Ed the ability to to, to really spread his wings and fly. Um, and we haven't looked back since. Really, it's you know we <laughs> we went from uh, I know we're not supposed to talk sales numbers, but you know I, I already told you you know we said we opened that store when I bought it, it was doing fifteen five. $16,000 a week. Um, we're now five years later, 10 times the weekly revenue. Oh, wow. That's, um, <laughs> that's impressive. With five stores, you know, so, yeah. um, and we've, we've, you know, been on a trajectory of success, but, um, the system and stuff that, you know, going back to, you know, becoming a franchisee, you know, the steps that Domino's has you go through, um, they're there for a reason. Um, and it's not to make it hard to become a franchisee. They, they literally want you to be a success, you know, and entering into that, um, partnership, um, you really want each other to succeed, you know? So, you know, me as a franchise owner, I'm a hundred percent on board with Domino's because their success is my success. 
and right, right. my success is their success. So it's very much so a mutual, it's, it's a partnership. I don't work for them. They don't work for me. Right. Right. So, um, with kind of, you're on a roll, you got your second store. When it comes to talking responsibilities of franchisee compared to being a supervisor, I'm going to assume you just don't sit at home and, you know, look at your computer and look at numbers all day and just check in with Ed, hey, how things going, right? That's not like a lot of people have this impression that owners don't do anything. They just reap in the cash. Can you kind of explain some of those stresses and responsibilities that you kind of go through on a daily, weekly, yearly basis that maybe somebody thinking about becoming a franchisee doesn't know or, you know, is you could kind of give them a heads up. Hey, this isn't as easy or as lucrative as, you know, you feel it's going to be. There's a lot of, you know, due diligence and hard work involved with it. Right, right. Um, just like the, the running the business aspect of it is for me, it's like the most exciting part right now because I'm, I'm learning. I'm still paying my tuition. I, I don't mm-hmm. have a degree in anything. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I went to college, but I, I didn't graduate. Um, yep. I, I left because I don't, I saw a career path in dominance. So I dropped That's, out of school. Yep. Yeah. Um, so some of the early on, some of the, the, the biggest realization that I had and the biggest stress that as a business owner that gets put on you is you learn words, the true meaning of words like exposure and risk and liability. And knowing that, um, especially the, the scariest one of all, a vicarious liability, um, knowing that if your driver happens to forget to put their car in park and it rolls out of the parking lot and hits the propane tank across the street and blows up the neighborhood, you're liable to pay for the $3.5 million damage that that might have done. You know, and that is a true story. Is this story a true that- story? <laughs> Oh, man. Not, not okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, that 12,000 is gone, Phil. <laughs> yeah. You can actually look it up. It hit national news. That was in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. Oh, my that, goodness. That actually yeah. happened. And that franchisee lost everything. Yeah. Because of, because of you know, a simple mistake. It wasn't even somebody being stupid. It was somebody going back into the store because they forgot a soda. And they, yeah. they, they drove a standard and they didn't set the parking brake and their car rolled out of the. Yeah. And honestly, they were probably thinking, Oh, I need to hustle. I need to hurry and grab this. Cause you know, I'm yeah, trying to yeah, get yeah. there in a certain amount of time. Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, so risk and liability is huge and a, a huge part, a large part of my time is any policy that we put into place, any decision that we make, we have to go through that risk assessment, that review, like, if I make this decision, how is it going to affect me? How can it affect me adversely? How will it affect the company? Can I get sued if I do this? Yep. You know, um, and there's a lot of time and energy that gets in, gets involved in that. And and it, it from every aspect, as far as you know, changing you know what system am I going to use to pay the mileage? You know, am I going to pay per delivery or am I going to pay per mile? Or you know, making those decisions. Um, uh, the aspect of the things that happened to us going through COVID was, uh, you know, I, 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 it, 2020 and 2021 are the two st- most stressful years of my life. Yeah. Um, but coming out of it um, and knowing how amazing my team was and how well they supported the decisions that I was making made it all worthwhile. 
you know, right. um, they, they were two the mo- two most difficult years of my life. But we're gonna look back. Well, I'll look back on them. Maybe not in a few months, but maybe in a few years. <laughs> I'll, I'll look back on these two years and know that you know they were the the, the two years that I grew the most as right. as a business owner, as a franchisee, as a you know. And uh, as far as the perception of you know the employee's perception of the franchisee, it it, it I still you know. I'm, just about six years into being a franchisee. So I'm still pretty new. Um, and I still am having a hard time coming to grips with the perception my employees have of me. Because um, I don't, I, I'm not a scary guy. You know, um, I, I want to go in there and, and chat with them and joke around with them. And I learned really quickly, I can't joke around with them anymore. Everything I say is taken very, literally and very seriously. Right. You know, so if I go into a store and somebody makes a silly mistake and you go, ha ha, you're fired they'll walk out the door. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I can't make that, I can't make that joke anymore. Because, you know, <laughs> they might, they might think I'm serious. Um, but they all think that, you know, like you said, you know, they think that the franchise owners were sitting on a, in an ivory tower, sitting high, you know, in our office or whatever, watching the news and you know, breaking in, breaking counting in. their money. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Counting the money. <laughs> um, where really a majority of our time is, you know, just, really trying to think of how we can make your job easier. How can, we, how can we make your job better? Making the decisions like switching to load and go, which I, I know you guys are in the middle of that. Yeah. You know, as, as a franchise owner, that's not an easy, not an easy decision to make, you know, um, making the financial decision. Um, and it's a huge financial decision, not just for the equipment that we have to do, the changes we have to make in the store, but the training that we have to put in the, yep. you know? yep. um, and, uh, you know, the, the amount of time and energy and, and, and focus that we put into that while we're maintaining the business, paying the bills, making sure the lights are on, negotiating leases, something yeah. I thought I'd never do. Um, and, and it's, you know, yeah, you know, you know, seeking legal counsel, you know, all, all of those crazy things. You know, it's really hard to understand until you're in that position actually. Um, but, you know, we work really hard and I, I, as a franchisee, I work extremely hard for my people, um, for my crews, for my, you know, all the way down to the driver level to try and make their job just that little bit easier, trying to make their life a little bit better. Um, and that's where the majority of my focus is. And luckily I have, <laughs> I have a team uh, behind me, you know, from every level I have, you know, you, you already talked to Ed, you, you, you might have an idea of how amazing he is. He's a world-class supervisor. I would put him up against any supervisor. In the <laughs> no, he, he, he seems like a really great guy and he really cares about his people and, and doing things the right way. And, you know, he understands like his job is, is to grow people and make them better. And yeah. he, he has his own style. And like I said, my style is very similar to his. And I think that's why we clicked so well, just cause he's definitely like that go-getter. You put anything in his path and he's going to go attack it until he gets it. And or just, or if you want him to do it, just tell him he can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Time, watch me. I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I mean, I have I have another supervisor up in Flagstaff. I just bought those stores six months ago, and um, oh, I have a fair Carl is developing into an incredible supervisor. You know, I have two good GMs up there that are becoming great. Um, I have, you know, I I don't have a single member of my leadership team that I am not happy with. You know. 
And it's because they're, they're work, they work together and they work the, the collaboration, that the, they're constantly working towards each other. It's, it's not competitive. Nobody is, you know, thinking that they're better than anybody else. It's, it's very much so a team environment. It's like a hive mindset, right? Like they, they're all out for the same goal. Right, right. And we also, you know, Ed and I as leadership, we, 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 we don't just listen to our managers, to the, to, the, to the AMs, to the GMs, to the drivers. We actively seek their advice anytime we're making a change. Um, so a perfect example of that, when we were converting to cutting edge in um, the Buckeye store, um, which is, you know, it was at the time doing thirty-two to thirty-five thousand dollars a week. It was a little bit scary making that big of an operational change in a high-volume store. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we went in, trained them how to do it, put the equipment in place, and then when they were asking, "Where do we put this? Where do we put this? Where do you want to put it? How is it going to work for you?" Yeah. You know, and we let them make the decisions, and then we just we supported the decisions that they made, and then we went through and followed up and worked with them to make it even more efficient. Right. You know, because as as a manager, they're they're the ones that are in the store doing the job every day. It's it's easy for me to be like, oh no, you need to do it this way. Um, but every store, the layout is different. Yeah. Every manager is different. Every personality of every store is different. So you have to be very open and very accepting to those differences and use those differences to your advantage to make sure that every store runs as efficiently as it can. Yeah. So, and so you, you're kind of saying like being the franchise owner, being the boss, you just get bossed around a lot. <laughs> In a sense, it's like, you know, it's like a lot of people, you can use that, 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 that adage like herding kittens. You know, sometimes uh, there, there's a lot of chaos going on around us. There's a lot of opinions. Um, you know, in, in the, at the end of the day, in my opinion, you know, what I say goes, you know, but I want to make sure that, when I make that decision, everybody feels like they had input. Input, and yeah. And that yeah. they're, you know, even though I might not have done what they asked, or they might not go in the direction that they wanted to, they know that their concern was considered, that yeah. their their suggestion was considered. And that's what really matters. You know, we want to make sure, you know, I, I want to make sure, it's, it's important to me that that they feel like what they have to say matters. Right. Yeah. hundred percent agree. Um, let's, I, w- I wanted to talk a little bit like you're a franchisee now you're at the top. What are some of your goals now? Cause like when you're a CSR, your next goal is I want to be a shift leader. And then it's, I want to be an assistant manager. Then it's, I want to be a GM. And then it's, I want to be a supervisor or a trainer. And, and, once you get to the franchisee owner, what, what, what do you make your goals? Like, what are your goals set out to be, you know, career wise? Career wise, it's really a, an abnormal goal, I think, but I, it's becoming more and more personal to me. Um, I, the only thing I can give as a franchisee, and, and that's, that, that's what I want to, I want to provide. I want to give, right. The only thing I can give is opportunity. Um, so my goal, and um, number one goal as a franchisee is to develop a franchisee from where I was as a driver to where I am now. If I can put one person, one individual and guide them on that path, then my career would be a raging success. So that's my number one goal as a franchisee is to provide that opportunity. 
Um, and you know, I coming from, like I said, single, single mother broke as a joke. I left home with $150 in my pocket and my truck. That was it. You know, everything I owned was in the back of my pickup, like my 1980 Chevy Love. Um, and, uh, you know, and now, you know, I'm a, a five-store franchisee building my sixth store, looking, looking towards the future with, you know, wide open arms and open eyes. You know, the, there is no, you know, do I have a goal of store count? Whatever I can manage. Yeah. You know, whatever, I can't even say whatever I can manage, whatever we can manage, you know, as long as I can have the team underneath me and, and around me um, to support the stores, then I'll keep acquiring them. You know, I'll keep building, I'll keep growing um, and keep increasing the odds of providing that opportunity, you know, and, and that opportunity that we provide, you know, as as franchise owners, as managers, as supervisors, all of us are providing opportunity. You know, when you're deciding which person to hire um, as a CSR, you're 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 deciding which person to give that opportunity to um, when you're deciding which one of your manager, which one of your drivers and CSRs do you want to move into um, management, you're providing them with that opportunity. When when you're a supervisor and you're looking at that next person to be your trainer, your GM, you know who are you going to give that opportunity to? Um, and that's the only gift that we have as leaders. That's the only thing I can give you is the opportunity. What you do with that opportunity is 100% on you. You know, but I can provide the opportunity and I can provide you the support and the tools to achieve what that opportunity can bring. Yeah. 100% agree. All right. So I think we're down, we're down to my final question. And I'm sure you've heard of what my final question is for all my panelists. So if you could be any animal on the planet, what animal would you be and why? The why is always a hard one on that, isn't it? <laughs> um, for me, it's, it would actually be a wolf. Oh, a wolf. I, I am a huge, huge fan of wolves. Not, you know, canines in general, but, you know, wolves in, in the wild, they're a very social animal. They, they live and they, they live and die as a pack. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the, the reason I, I, I choose that is, um, and I don't even, I, I did not fact check this. I'm going to assume that everything I see on Facebook is true. Okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, I saw I saw a post early in the Facebook days, long, long, long time ago, where um, somebody posted, you know, a picture of a pack of wolves walking through the wilderness, and it was like a, a bird's eye view of the pack. And there was an arrow at the two wolves in the back of the pack. There were there were three kind of straggling back, and there was an arrow at the two in the back. And um, the little saying underneath it was, you know, in 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 a pack of wolves, the two strongest members of the pack when they're traveling will always stay with the weakest member of the pack to make sure that they get where they need to go. Oh, yes, yes. I've seen that one, actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that has always kind of stuck with me, and I've always loved wolves, but that's, you know, when you ask that question, it's the reason why I would pick it, is I'm, I'm, I've always been the one to kind of look at the back and make sure we're all together, you know, making yeah. sure that, you know, there's, you know, no team member left behind or... You know, and yeah. always willing to fight to make sure even the person that we think is on their way out the door, you know, we're going to fight for them and try to better them yep. until they're actually out that door. Yeah, change some of those habits. And it's funny because, you know, I, I always ask everybody that. And there, there are a few answers that I love to hear. And, and one of them is lion, 
I love to hear lion. I love to hear bird because I'm finding out that birds are these freaking awesome animals that have freedom that everybody admires and, and loves. Um, and then wolf. Um, I've just, anytime I've had a wolf that I've interviewed or hired, they've always had that very like composed demeanor and all about the team, all about, you know, self-sacrifice to make sure the store's good. Um, you know, and, and so it's funny cause I, I was, I was placing bets on what your animal would be. Um, and I, I had said it was either going to be a bird or a lion. I was incorrect, but I really love that answer of wolf because, you know, after talking to you today, and again, I, I appreciate you spending time with me today. And I know you're a super busy man and, you know, doing this remotely, um, I, I, do greatly appreciate it. Um, but after talking to you today, you are definitely a wolf in my eyes. You really care about your employees. You care about, you know, providing them opportunity, like you said, and, and providing a culture that's not just, you know, good for your stores, but like the direction that Domino's in general, I think is, is trying to go and, and, it's what separates us from those competitors, the Pizza Huts and the Papa John's is we, when we put focus on our employees, if we take care of our employees and they enjoy coming to work, they're going to take care of our customers and take care of our stores. Um, and, and I think, you know, you and Ed, you know, have hit it right on the nail. Um, you guys are doing some great things and, and I love, you know, the time I spent with both of you. Um, I've learned a lot and I appreciate that. And I know anybody listening to this is, is definitely going to learn. And you, you know, there's somebody out there that's going to listen to this, that, you know, is, you're going to touch them and they're going to say, I can do the franchise thing. You know, if he can do it, I can do it. And that's originally why I wanted to interview you, uh, hearing a little bit of your story from Ed and how often that story happens in Domino's where, you know, you're going to college and you're working Domino's part-time and then it becomes your life, your lifestyle and, you know, your career. I mean, it happened with- It becomes, it becomes a passion. Yeah. It, it's not just a career. It's not a job. You know, it's, it is, Domino's is, in, it's integrated in every aspect of my life. You know, I'm, I'm sitting now in my office, in my home, you know, yeah. I'm- Work, you know, am I constantly working? Yeah, you know, we work a lot, we work hard, you know, but it's not really work if you love it, you know. Right, um, right. When your wife has to tell you, we're going to go for a walk, leave your phone here, you know, and you don't even think twice about it. You're like, oh, well, I guess I have been on my phone all day. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, I have been working all day, you know. For, well, and, and it's, it's a lifestyle for the whole family too, you know, and, and one of the things I've always said was, you know, to my wife, when I first met her, like, I'm Domino's for life. This is what I love to do. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to get to wherever I need to be, no matter how long it takes me. And she understood that. And she has supported me in every which way, shape and form. And that has just been nothing but, you know, greatness that I needed to be able to get to where I'm at today. Cause if I didn't ha have her, it would have taken me a lot longer. Um, you know, she's kind of my rock and, and she always helps me when I'm struggling with a situation. And, you know, sometimes when we struggle, we don't, we don't like to talk to our bosses about it. And, um, you know, she's definitely always been that person that rock for me in, in this position. So, um, 
Thank you again, Phil. I greatly, greatly appreciate it, man. It's been nothing but amazing uh, speaking with you. And I really hope we can you know, talk in the future again, because um, I know you got some more information I'd like to have on the show. Um, but is there any shout outs you want to make before uh, we cut this off and, and head our, our way out? Are there any that I haven't made already? I talked about yeah. Carl. I talked about Kyle. We talked about Josh. We talked about Tony, who's my new GM and my cotton. I didn't talk about him. That dude's pretty amazing. But I, shout out to Tony. Tony, yeah, I totally stole him from uh, from uh, New Mexico. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> another one that kind of he was looking for something different. He needed some changes in his life, and I was happy to be able to. You know, the timing was perfect. I had a, I had a store available, and I knew he was a capable manager. And you know, I'm really looking forward to great things happening. Well, and, and that's another thing with Domino's. We are we are everywhere, and you know. Although like all franchises and even uh, Team USA, we're, we're all kind of ran a little bit different. Like we, we, we do have that kind of same mentality and are, you're going to the rally, right? Okay, so, you know, it, right. We, we were talking about passion and why we love Domino's and stuff like that. Like if, if you haven't been to a rally guys and, and you're going this year, expect some great things. Like you are going to have goosebumps. You're going to have a drive in you that you've never experienced before. You know, a big reason why I do this podcast was inspired by the rally and what I took from the rally in 2016. And, you know, I love those talks. I love it when, you know, Magic Johnson's up there telling me like, you know, what he went through and how he got through some of his struggles. Like it helps me relate and, you know, it pushes me to want to do great things. So, you know, bring your passion with you to, to, to the rally guys. Yeah. Or just being in a room with, but the last, the last rally, 9,000 screaming dominoids. Like just right. that, that first time you walk into the general session, it just, like before it even starts, your mind is blown. Well, that that's when that stereotype of being a GM for Domino's, that's when it went away. Because there were so many people proud of what they represented and what they do. And like, if you're that person that, you know, you get a little embarrassed telling your, your parents that you work at Domino's and what you're doing, don't be. You're running a business. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that's probably the same age, age as you, that don't even know how to bag groceries, you know? So be proud of what you represent. And, you know, if it's not your end career, still be proud of what you are doing in this, in this position. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, Phil, thank you so much again. I greatly appreciate it. This was the 40 pep podcast guys. I'm Nolan Beck. This was Phil McManus and that's a wrap. Have a great day. And there you have it, guys, the conclusion to fill in the blanks. Thank you, Phil McManus, for meeting with me. I had a fantastic time. I look forward to seeing you at the rally. Um, keep, uh, keep doing what you're doing out there, man. Uh, next episode, guys, we are going to have Carrie Heyman, who's been with Domino's for quite some time. She originally started out in Australia. Um, then she worked her way into the UK in that area. And now she's in the States uh, running her own franchise. Um, so I got some great content for you on the next episode. Please join us for that. Please let me know what you thought of this episode and anything you would like to hear in the future. 
and possibly your story, um, I want to know. Um, you can reach out to me at 40peppodcast at dpzwest.com. That's the number 40peppodcast at dpzwest.com. I hope, again, you all enjoyed the episode. But until next time, be great out there. <laughs>